Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Okay, so our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for one who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Yeah, there you go. There it is. Uh, My name is Sean. If I haven't met you, uh, let's say hi uh, before you head out today, and let's eat a donut. Huh? Yes. Uh, But happy Easter. Today we celebrate that Jesus is alive and he brings life uh, to us. We become alive because Jesus is alive. And as we talk about that this morning on this Easter Sunday, I know that that phrase, Jesus is alive, or Jesus is risen, or he is risen, becomes kind of this cliche. We're familiar with that phrase to a point. Even if you've never been in church uh, for, for anything Uh, you know this Easter story and that idea that Jesus is alive or that phrase, he is risen, becomes very cliche and very familiar. And to think as we read this passage and look at it and talk about it for a moment, there was a Sunday morning that that statement was not familiar. There was a Sunday morning where that was not a cliche, where these ladies went to the tomb expecting to have to figure out how to roll this stone away and anoint the body of Jesus and prepare him for a proper burial, and they show up, and there's two glowing dudes inside the tomb, and they're confused, and they're terrified, and the question that these messengers ask the ladies, I think, shows that this was no ordinary Sunday. The question that they ask them also shows that for them, this is not a familiar, oh, Jesus is alive, yeah. What they showed up at the tomb expecting was different than the reality that they encountered. And we see it in that question from the messengers, these glowing angels that are in the tomb in verse 5 and 6. It says, then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who was alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. The women are headed to this tomb because in that custom, in that time, it would have been a, a way of honoring somebody that you cared about would be to prepare their body with herbs and spices and oils and do all that stuff that now we've got 
paid professionals that do all of that stuff, right? Uh, dead body, right? These ladies are going to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body because they loved him and cared for him and wanted to honor him. But they're headed to the tomb not looking for a resurrected Christ. What are they looking for? A corpse. They're not expecting a miracle. And you see that in the question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're in this graveyard. You're amongst the tombs. What? You're not going to find him here. You're looking in the wrong place. So obviously, when you've shown up, you're not looking for the living. You're looking for the dead. This question has just been rattling in my mind for the last few weeks and thinking about it. And, and, and I thought of this funny clip uh, from the movie Ant-Man and this idea of what we show up expecting is different than what we are seeking. All right, so let's take a look at this. And for some, you're going to love it. And some, you're like, where is he going? But let's take a look at this brief clip from the movie Ant-Man. mango fruit blast? Uh, no thanks. Um, I will have, I'll have a burger, please. Oh, we don't, we don't make that. Pretzel, hot pretzel, like mustard, we have mustard dip. It's ice cream. Baskin Robbins. I'll just do like whatever's hot and fresh. David. Can I see in the back, Chief? Pronto. Sure thing, Dale. Darby, could you just uh, take care of this idiot? Thanks. How does that connect to Jesus being alive? The women are like the guy showing up at Basket Robbins looking for a hot pretzel. They're showing up at the tomb looking for a dead man, but Jesus is alive. Why are you amongst the dead looking for the living? Or why are you looking for the dead amongst the living? Like, what you're looking for is not going to be here. You are not going to get a hot pretzel at Baskin Robbins. You are not going to find the living Christ amongst the tombs. And what it shows is that for these women that morning, they thought the death of Jesus was final. That was it. There's a finality to it. This is the end. But then they reveal that he is what? He is risen. He's alive. This is not a cliche. This is not an Easter greeting. This is nothing other than a declaration of truth that Jesus had predicted. And he go, they go on to tell them and remind them, hey, Jesus predicted this. This, isn't, this should not have blindsided you. Jesus told you that this would happen, right? In verses six through eight, what, does he, what do the, the angels say? Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would again, he would rise again on the third day. Verse eight, then they remembered that he had said this. The angels' words are both a reminder and a bit of a correction or a rebuke to the ladies. Like, how did you forget this? You showed up for the final exam and forgot what was going to be on the exam, right? Uh, it, it reminds me, this interaction reminds me of those progressive commercials with the instant replay. Have you seen those, right? If not, guess what? I'm going to show it, okay? And for some of you, again, you're like, all right, bring it on. More movie clips. Let's see how this connects, all right? 30 seconds, but it illustrates and parallels this moment between the angels and the women at the tomb being like, remember what Jesus said. All right, let's take a look at this clip. Hey, sweetie, I'm not seeing the life jackets. Well, you said you packed them. No, you packed them. No, you packed them. You said I won't forget to pack the life jackets. I won't forget to pack the life jackets. I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to challenge that. Well, you do have one left, so. This What Really Happened replay is brought to you by Progressive. One thing no one would challenge, protecting your home and auto with Progressive. You know, my favorite part was when you said, obviously, I won't forget to bring the life jackets. 
the angels are like the woman in this clip. Remember what Jesus said. Don't forget that. And they're just like, uh, no, we don't remember. And, they throw, and then they have that moment of realization. It says in verse 8, and then they remembered. Ah, I get it. I remember. They've seen the, the replay on the screen for them, and they're able to remember. And I can picture, if I, was, if I was in that moment, I would picture where I was when I first heard Jesus say this, right? If I was them, and, and it would almost transport me back, like watching it on an iPad, they could almost visualize where they were and when they heard it and what the smells and the feelings and the thoughts were. Because in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is quoted as saying the very thing that the angels tell them at the tomb. And there it is, just for the sake of those of us that want to know what it says in Luke 9, Jesus said this 15 chapters prior. The Son of Man must suffer these terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. This is long before the tomb. Jesus does what? He predicts it. He tells them this is going to happen. And you can just picture the ladies have this light bulb moment. Ah, I get it. I see it. I remember it. This is what Jesus said. This is what he did. And this is what it all means. Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection, and he actually did it. Only person in history to fulfill that one. Only person in history to check that box, predict your death, predict your resurrection, and do it. And what that means in this passage, what the angels are trying to tell the women, and then the women are going to go try to tell the disciples, and the disciples are going to be like, I don't know about this, is what? Jesus is alive. This is not a cliche. This is not just an Easter statement. It is a truth. Jesus is alive. Jesus is life. And this is repeated throughout the scriptures. If you look at the scriptures, you're going to see constantly that Jesus has defeated death. Jesus is alive. Jesus brings life, right? And I'm going to hit you really fast, rapid fire, okay? So you ready? You ready? We're going to go real fast, real fast with a couple of scriptures because I, I just, I want you to see that this is repeated. This is not just at the tomb where the angels say, hey, Jesus is alive. I want you to know that he is risen, right? Throughout the scriptures, Acts chapter 2, verse 24, but God released him, him being Jesus, from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. The death could not keep him in its grip. Revelation 1.18, this is Jesus talking to the Apostle John about the end of days, and he says this, I am the living one. This is Jesus speaking. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I will hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus has the keys. John 14.6, Jesus talking to the crowds. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. First John 1, verses 1 through 2, he is the word of life. He is the one who is eternal life. Jesus is alive. Jesus is life. Okay, you still with me? Four verses, boom, 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 and they're gone, right? So hopefully you wrote notes really quickly. If not, you can watch our podcast. But Jesus is alive. This is a constant message that God the Father wants humanity to understand and see. Jesus is not dead. That is a huge truth that changes the course of history. It changes our story, right? But we got to believe this and understand this, that Easter morning, the angels are telling the women, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's not some fictional character or folklore or mythology that we believe in, right? He is not Batman, 
He is not Paul Bunyan. He is not Zeus or Apollos. He is alive. Jesus is not some historical character or historical person that is buried in the grave and we go visit their final resting place. You ever go to somebody's final resting place? Right, Some celebrity or some famous person. I, I remember my mom and I went and saw where Jimi Hendrix was buried. Or is buried. He's still there. Was buried. <laughs> is buried. There's something kind of special about seeing where somebody... But guess what? Jesus is not buried. Jesus is alive. Being alive means that he is not an idea or a concept or some doctrine statement, or some feeling, or some theory. Jesus being alive is what? It is a fact. It is truth. It is, it is a statement that describes the personhood of Jesus coming back from the death, coming back from the grave, being alive. And what does that mean? It means he hears you. He loves you. He forgives you. He knows you. He cares about you. Notice none of that is past tense. He cared about you, but now he's dead. He loved you, but now he's dead. No, he is alive. He hears you. He loves you. He forgives you. He knows you. He cares about you. And we follow a living God. We worship a living God. When we sing these songs in, in, together as a church, we are singing to a living God. When we pray, we are talking not to the walls and not to some idea. We are talking to the living God that can hear us. Jesus is alive. The question for us this morning, and this is where we're going to kind of wrestle together here, is so what? What are the implications of Jesus being alive? Why does it matter? The Apostle Paul says that if Jesus hadn't been resurrected from the grave, then we should just close up shop. You go and read in the Corinthian letters, and he's telling the church, like, if Jesus hasn't conquered death and Jesus is not alive, then what are we doing? We're really just a bunch of nice people hanging out on a Sunday morning, drinking coffee and eating donuts. But Jesus is alive, and it is, it, it is the turning point in history. It is the catalyst that can change our lives. Jesus being alive is the defibrillator to our soul. You remember uh, watching ER back in the day or any kind of Chicago ER or New York ER or wherever ER's shows are, right? I don't know. There's so many to keep up with, right? But the defibrillators, I always see them in my CPR training that I have to take for things, right? I've never used one of these things or actually seen one in action, but I've watched it on TV. So, uh, but it's that idea of those panels, right? Clear! Alive! Well, the resurrection is the defibrillator for my soul, bringing me to life. Jesus didn't just come to be alive for himself. He came to bring life to all of humanity. And today, I want to talk about three areas of our lives. We're going to look at three areas of our lives that Jesus brings us to life, that he can revive. And I'm representing them with these uh, Venn diagram overlapping circles for those of us that are very visual and we like that. You'll enjoy this. For those that aren't, just move along. Right, But it's three areas of our life, and I'm sure that you could probably think of more, but I'm, I want to focus on three areas of our life that Jesus revives us. The fact that Jesus is alive brings these areas of my life and your life to life. The first one is that Jesus revives me from fearful living. 
How many of us are scared of death? We become scared to death of death. I don't want to get sick. I don't want cancer. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want this to happen. We worry. We become consumed with fear because we're worried about how it's all going to end. We live our lives in this anxiety-ridden life covered in fear because we're worried about, well, what happens in the end when the lights go out? What happens to my family when I'm gone? That's a fear. I worry about that fear, right? What happens to me afterwards? Does it just go dark? Do what, what's going to happen? And we become consumed by this fearful living because we're fearful of death. And Jesus, when he conquers the grave, he brings life to a point that we don't need to fear death anymore because death is no longer the end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul describes death and you almost see him laughing in the face of death because he is not scared of death. The idea of the end being death is laughable to him. Look at the way he writes about death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus at the resurrection revives us so that we can begin to have a perspective on this life. I don't have to live in the fear of death is the end because death is not the end. There is no end. There's eternity in the presence of my God in paradise. In my position as a pastor, I get to have conversations with people sometimes in their very lowest of low moments in the midst of tragedy and loss. And I find that there is a clear distinction when talking with somebody that has this air of their life revived by the resurrection because when they lose a loved one or when they're processing their grief, I've talked with folks and they're grieving and they're sad for their loss and they're trying to figure out what, what they're going to do next and, and, and how they're going to move forward. But at the same time, they, they have this glimmer of hope because they know that their loved one is in the presence of God, because they know that death is not the end. The resurrection revives them from this fearful living of <clears throat> the lights are out. It's over. They're no longer afraid of death. Life in Jesus surpasses that fear, that you and I don't have to live in that fear anymore because we know that Jesus has conquered death, and with him, we will conquer death. We will spend eternity in his presence. The third area, or <clears throat> excuse me, the second area, I skipped ahead. The second area that we see Jesus revive us, Jesus revives me from my sinful living. When I'm living in sin, sin is going to lead to death and brokenness and, and depravity and severed relationships and addiction and hopelessness and brokenness and regret and remorse and shame lived in it. I'm sure by a show of hands, we can all resonate with that feeling. You don't have to raise your hands. It's more of a rhetorical. 
But there's a part of us that when we are stuck in sin, we, we find temporary relief, we find momentary solace in our sin. But we're left still with pieces. We lack wholeness. We're still left with shame and regret and remorse. And Jesus at the resurrection offers us a resuscitation from that kind of life breaking us free of our addictions, breaking us free of our sin and our depravity and our brokenness so that we can live in wholeness, we can live in a flourishing and, a, and forgiveness and hope and find value and significance in his presence. Look at the way Paul describes this to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter two and the life that we can have, the way Jesus revives us from our sin. He says, but God is so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. I could probably do 30 minutes just on that couple of sentences, but I won't, but I could. It all starts with how much God loves you. It all starts with the resurrection, defeating the power of that depravity and that brokenness, that addiction, that captivity that we find ourselves in, and we feel stuck. Ever been in a season where you feel stuck in your sin? Yeah, we all have. We've all been there. And Jesus has something better for you. Jesus says, you don't have to feel stuck. You don't have to feel stuck in that cycle of sin anymore. He enables us to get out of that grave. Not because we deserve it, not because we went to church enough, not because we're clean enough or we studied enough or we gave enough. No, why? Because his grace was all we needed. It is only by God's grace that we've been saved. It is only by the resurrection that we see those chains break in our lives. Jesus is alive so that you and I can be alive and not dead in our sin. We can be forgiven. We give it a fresh start. That's an area of our life that we can experience death. And Jesus is like, eh, clear. <laughs> Let's bring life instead of death. And the third one, the final area that I want to just uh, focus on for a moment is this idea that Jesus revives us from empty living. Empty living. It's Easter uh, Sunday, and, and I know many of you, if you've got kids or grandkids, uh, what, is, what is something you're going to do today that involves little pieces of plastic and candy? We are going to have Easter egg hunts. How many of you, even as a grown-up, still love a good Easter egg hunt, right? Come on. Come on. My wife and I like still doing an Easter egg hunt. We just don't do eggs. We do small cans of beverages that our kids hide around the house or in the backyard for us. Probably not today because it's raining. We'll hide them throughout the house, right? We don't do eggs for the grown-ups, right? But when you're a kid... What do you do? I mean, you're just searching for those eggs, and you're just pounding them into that basket and filling it, filling it, filling it. And then what do you do once that basket's full? You're like stuffing them into your pockets. You're like using your shirt as an apron and an additional basket. You're just trying to load up, right? Or you're in search of a bigger basket. Your kids get smart. They start looking for bigger baskets, right? When they're really young, you can basically take the egg out and throw it back in the grass, and they'll just keep picking up the same two eggs. But as they get older, they're looking for bigger baskets, Dad. Looking for more eggs, it becomes this competition. And I think in life, we can sometimes live on this, this track of, of Easter egg hunts of life. We're chasing eggs. We're searching for bigger baskets. And when you think about that pursuit, do you truly feel alive inside? When you're searching for the metaphorical 
bigger basket, the proverbial Easter eggs that you're searching for? Do you feel fulfilled inside? Jesus confronts this feeling, that we, this emptiness we can feel when he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. You keep putting eggs in that basket, they're just going to tumble out. What, benef- what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you yourself? But are, let's try that again. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or de- destroyed? We get, we get stuck in these pursuits and it leads to this emptiness inside. And I think another way I would describe it is like you're holding an Easter basket and that basket's got a giant hole in it. And every time you put eggs in it, what are they doing? They're just falling out of the bottom, right? Oh, I'm gonna get this vacation. Oh, I'm gonna get this bigger truck. I'm gonna get this new boat. I'm gonna get this house. I'm gonna get these things. I'm gonna get, right? And it's exciting to get the boat. It's exciting to get the truck. It's exciting to go on vacation. And then it just slips through the hole of your basket and then it's like, oh, now I gotta go back to work. Oh, now it's raining. Oh, now the truck needs an oil change. Oh, now it's the timing belt. Oh, that's awesome. And then, right? Whatever egg you were chasing slips through the bottom of the basket. You're trying to hang on to these things. And what does that leave you feeling? Empty. Unfulfilled. Jesus acknowledges this empty feeling that we can have when we're pursuing happiness as the end goal or we're pursuing pleasure or stuff or reputation or money or jobs and careers. Jesus doesn't want you to live an empty life. He doesn't want you to feel like I'm going and going and going and I'm just a hamster spinning on a wheel. I don't think Jesus wants that for his people because at one point in John chapter 10, Jesus' quote is saying this, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus is alive. He doesn't want you living on a hamster wheel. Jesus is alive. He doesn't want you hanging out with this basket with a giant hole in the bottom. And some of us are going to read that verse and we're like, oh, I want some of that, Jesus, right? Full, satisfied, rich, plentiful, right? We read, oh, have life to the full. And what do we think? Full bellies, full bank accounts, full friend circles, full everything. And I bet if I asked for a show of hands, you'd be like, yeah, sign me over that, Jesus. I want that. And Jesus, when he says to have life and have it to the full, he has to then help people understand what that means. Because our natural perspective is to think about the temporary, the perishable, the physical, right? And we equate full with all of these different things because we've allowed our family to define what a full life means. We all want a full life. And we allow our family to imprint that idea or our culture to imprint that idea or the American dream to imprint that idea. This is what a full life is and Jesus offered me a full life. So I guess that's what Jesus wants for me. And Jesus is gonna slow people down and say, let's reevaluate what full life means. After he does this miracle, this very famous miracle of feeding 5,000 people with bread and, and fish and this multiplication of resources and he feeds all these people, people are really excited to follow Jesus because, hey, he feeds me, right? Full life, let's follow this guy. And Jesus has to sit him down and say, let's redefine full. John 6, 26 through 27, he says, this is Jesus, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. You want to follow Jesus because he'll heal you. 
You want to follow Jesus because he'll prosper you. You want to follow Jesus because he'll make you feel good. But he's not done talking. He says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. What's he saying? Stop chasing eggs. Stop chasing bigger baskets. Start chasing something that's going to last. He wants you to experience a fullness of life, not an empty life. It's just his definition of full is different than ours. He says, if, and, and he says this in Luke 9, if you, any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Who wants that Easter basket? But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. See, Jesus wants us to experience a fullness of life, and he wants to redefine fullness of life. Fullness of life could mean knowing that I am loved by Jesus, and that is enough. That Jesus loves you, and that is enough. That's a full life right there. And boom, we could just end right there. That's a full life, to know that you are loved by the same God that conquered death. Full life. But there's more. There's a full life of knowing that I'm in connection with that living God. That when I pray, he hears me. That when I pray, he speaks back and he can talk to us. That I could be in a closeness and a relationship with that living God. That's a full life. A full life knowing that I can participate in the plans of God to bring wholeness to this world, to people. Not wholeness just to Sean, but I can bring wholeness to other people. That's a full life. Being able to be used by God to bring life into other people, that's a full life. How about a full life of learning that life can be more about sacrifice than saving? And when I learned to sacrifice, I learned to love like Jesus loved. Learning to love like Jesus loved is a full life, a meaningful life, a significant life, a purposeful life, a life that Jesus wants each of us to experience and a life that is opened up to us because of the resurrection. Jesus is alive. Say that. Jesus is alive. Okay, I was worried there for a second. Whoo. Jesus is alive and he gives life. He makes us alive. He gives us an opportunity to respond to that. If Jesus is alive, let's go after him. Let's pursue him. Jesus said, seek after that. Chase after that, right? If you want a hot pretzel, go to the hot pretzel stand. If you want ice cream, you go to the ice cream stand. If you want life and life as Jesus would describe, well, go to the living God. Don't go to anything else. Don't run to this and that and this blog and this podcast and this person and this book. And this. If you want life, run to the source of life. Run to Jesus. Go towards Jesus. Chase after Jesus. Seek after Jesus. And see how he will resuscitate these areas of our life, these three areas that we can experience change. Let's, let's quickly throw those up, those three areas, right? You'll notice I changed some of the words, right? We went from fearful living to hopeful living. I'm no longer fearful. I live with hope. I'm not afraid of death because I know I'll spend eternity with my Savior in paradise. Just ask for that perspective change. 
ask Jesus, Jesus, help me to see today through the lens of eternity. It's like those people that put on glasses that are colorblind. You've seen those videos passed around Facebook and YouTube and things, right? Instant tears for me. Insta-tears, right? You just watch those. Jesus, give me vision to see eternity through the lens, or see today through the lens of eternity. Then I might see life in a technicolor. To go from fearful living to hopeful living. To go from sinful living to holy living. Right? No longer stuck in my sin. And all I have to do, all you have to do, all we have to do is do what? Ask for forgiveness. Jesus isn't sitting there keeping score. He's not like, well, okay, that works for these ones, but you got, you got a long list here, bud. Nope, he breaks the cycle. The resurrection breaks the captivity that you and I find ourselves in and says, let's move on from sinful living to holy living. Let's make a U-turn with Jesus. And that last one, to go from empty living to whole living. Whole, complete no longer feeling drained and empty, but rather experiencing the wholeness, the shalom. To allow my life to be redefined and shaped by Jesus. Since Jesus is alive, can we be people who go and live like we are alive? When you leave today, know that you are alive. You're not dead. I know you're breathing, okay? That's good. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you go out there and you're having your brunch and you're talking with people or you go to work this week. I know, because it's coming. You're going to work. Go live like you're alive. Truly alive in Christ. Alive in all of these areas of our life where Jesus wants to revive us and resuscitate us and bring us to life because Jesus is alive and he came to bring us to life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.